0: Good morning. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Um, Before we start, I need to confess something to you all, all right, because I feel like this is a good time to do it. Um, I think I'm addicted to bread. I've got an addiction. I've got a real, real problem with bread. I eat too much of it. Like when I was a kid, I used to sneak downstairs, this is a true story, on an evening and steal a slice of bread and go and eat it under my covers upstairs. I would do it. I I absolutely love bread, like baguettes, bread buns, sliced bread. I'm just addicted. In fact, the the other day, my my daughter, Eden, she's only four, she's been learning about dinosaurs at at school, and she came home and said, Daddy, I've learnt about carnivores and herbivores. I said, oh, I should. Daddy, what are you? I said, well, Eden, I eat so much bread, you have to call me a carbivore because of all of the carbs. (laughs) She didn't laugh either, to be honest. (laughs) So I absolutely love bread, but my favourite type of bread is tiger bread. Does anyone here like tiger bread? I absolutely love tiger bread. I don't know what makes it taste so good. I don't know if it's got real tigers in it, but I really (laughs) love tiger bread. I can and have eaten full loads of it to myself. And uh, I just want to tell you a quick story about tiger bread before we start this morning, because a few years ago, there was a little girl. A little girl was just three and a half years old, and she was eating a slice of tiger bread. And she thought to herself, this doesn't look like a tiger at all. Tigers are stripy, this looks like a giraffe. So this little girl said to her mum, she she went to her mum and she said, Mum, I'm eating this bread, and it doesn't look like a tiger at all. It looks like a giraffe. So the little girl's mum encouraged her to write a letter to the local supermarket, and complain at the naming of this bread. So this is a true story. The little girl wrote to Sainsbury's and said, excuse me, there's a letter behind me there, excuse me, but actually, this doesn't look like a tiger at all. It looks like a giraffe. And to much to her surprise, Sainsbury's wrote back to this little girl and sent her a voucher, but they also sent her a little letter which said, we agree, it doesn't actually look like a tiger, um, we think it looks more like a giraffe. So they promised to name, uh, rename all of the tiger bread in Sainsbury's to... Giraffe bread. And that's a true story. If you go to Sainsbury's now in Stockton Whitehouse Farm, you will find giraffe bread and not tiger bread. <laughs> what a story, three and a half years old. That's a story about how a young girl was able to influence a whole national company by simply writing a letter. Now, why am I going about bread, you're asking? We've talked a lot about bread this morning. Well, our passage for today does talk a lot about bread, and we are going to break bread at the end of this morning. Um, but this passage also talks about small steps of faithfulness, okay, and doing what we can and presenting what we've got to Jesus. So just like that little girl presented very little, really, All she did just write a letter, and she was able to influence a whole national company we too can have great influence with small steps of faith. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Well, if you've got your Bible, you might want to start turning to Matthew 14. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 36 in two parts this morning. But just to give you a bit of context this morning, okay, it's a bit of an introduction. Um, The section that we're going to read this morning, it starts and it ends with Jesus showing compassion. Okay, so the start and the end of our section this morning is Jesus showing compassion. Jesus looks at crowds of people, he has compassion on them, and he heals them. That's at the beginning and at the end of our passage this morning. And Just as an introduction, as Christians, we need to model that sense of compassion, don't we? We need to model Jesus in that. We need to be compassionate people. We need to look at others and have compassion for them. Our desire should be to bless and support other people. We need to be compassionate. We heard a lot about that, didn't we, when Natalie Williams was with us a few months back? She talked about being compassionate people. Also, another important um, introduction to what we're reading today is that uh, last week Andy spoke about the story previously to this one, which was about John the Baptist having his head chopped off. Do you remember that? nice family-friendly story. So Jesus has literally just heard the news about his cousin uh, having his head chopped off, his cousin being murdered. So that's the context for this morning. Jesus would have been grieving. He would have been dealing with terrible news. He'd have probably been feeling a little bit down. He'd probably been reminded of his own upcoming crucifixion. It would have brought it all home to him. Jesus would have been in a position where he had heard this terrible news and it was in the midst of difficulty. And that's the background that we've got to this story. So as we read this month, we unpack this passage, just have that in your head. That's how Jesus is feeling at this time. All right. Let's read together from verse 13. And words will be on the screen behind me there. So when Jesus heard what had happened to his cousin, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. But we have only here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he told the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. So here we have one of the most famous miracles of Jesus in the whole Bible. In fact, I'm not sure if you noticed, but this is the only one of Jesus' miracles which is told in all four Gospels. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only um, miracle which is told in all four Gospels. It's pretty impressive, right? Let's just unpack what's going on here. Well. As I said earlier, Jesus was withdrawing to a private place to try and kind of grieve the news about his cousin being murdered. He was trying to get away for a second to sort of process it. But when you're as influential as Jesus, people want to come and find you, don't they? Jesus was so influential that the crowds, they came and found him. And Jesus ended up surrounded by 5,000 men. Women and children, as I said at the end, they weren't counted in those days. So we have 5,000 men. So we can kind of roughly guess there would have been about 15,000 people uh, around Jesus at that time. That's roughly half the capacity of the Riverside Stadium in Middlesbrough. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Jesus was surrounded by a lot of people. But as I said earlier, Jesus' first thought when he was surrounded, it wasn't go away and leave me on my own. It wasn't, oh, just let me grieve my cousin. Actually, in the midst of his pain and his sorrow, his first thought was to have compassion and heal the sick people in the crowd. That's impressive, right? But just a note here as well, by the way, there's a little throwaway line that says, Jesus healed their sick. Like, it's nothing. Like, that's not the main part of the story. It's like, Jesus healed their sick. What's our attitude towards healing? Do we have that same, like, Jesus will do it? Because that's like a side point of this story. Jesus just heals them, and then we get on with the main event. And we need to remember that Jesus can heal physical and spiritual things. Simple as that, in a second. It just really reminds me as as I was reading that. So Jesus spends all day teaching these crowds, and it gets towards nighttime. And the disciples kind of encourage Jesus to shoo the people away so they can go to the towns and get some food. Like, they've been listening to Jesus all day. The disciples themselves were probably hungry. The crowd were probably hungry. And the disciples were like, you know, get rid of these guys and let's go and have a dinner. Like, let's go and have a kebab or something. Okay, like, that was the thought that they were having. But actually, Jesus' response was, no, no, you feed them. Jesus didn't want, he wasn't interested in disciples' plans. Jesus had his own agenda. He said, no, no, you feed them. And here, in this little exchange, we have our first observation from this story. See, the disciples only had a tiny bit of food. We learned from John's Gospel, one of the other accounts, that it was actually a little boy who had brought the food and presented it to the disciples. Think back to our little girl from earlier with the giraffe bread. It was a little boy bringing what he had and giving it to the disciples. And they had only five loaves of bread and two fish. All right, that's not enough food, is it much to We want a bit more than that, don't we? Five loaves and two fish is not enough for us, okay? They didn't have a lot of food, but there's a huge lesson in this here, okay? Because what we bring to Jesus is significant, even if on the face of it, it seems completely irrelevant, okay? You've got 15,000 people there. Five loaves and two fish seems pretty insignificant. But what we bring to Jesus is important. Let me unpack that for a little bit. See, a lot of people feel like they can't serve God. They can't be used by God. They don't have a part to play in the church because they don't have a lot to offer. Maybe they aren't the most confident. Maybe they don't know the Bible very well. Maybe they don't speak English. Maybe they're not the most kind of gregarious type of people person. We find it easy to put barriers up and exclude ourselves because we think we've got nothing to offer. But you know what it says um, in the book of Ephesians says that we are God's workmanship created for good works. And it says in Genesis that we are made in God's image. So of course what we bring to God is useful because we're made in his image and we're created for good works. So whatever we have to bring to God is significant and it is useful. And you need to hear that this morning. We've all got something that we can offer to Jesus. You just need to bring it to Jesus and see what he does. In the same way that little boy was faithful and brought his lunch to Jesus and Jesus multiplied it, we need to bring our offerings to him as well. Like, think about our finances. Like you might think, Joe, I can't give into the offering at church because I'm just a student or I don't have a lot of money or I only work part-time, or, you know, we struggle with our bills. And you might think, I'd love to give, but I can't. You know, you hear about some of the things that we're doing in the church, supporting the work in Ghana and Turkey and our work in Middlesbrough, and you might look at this building project and think, I'd really like to support that financially, but what I give is insignificant. Listen, if that's you, I want to encourage you to give what you can offer. Offer what you can offer and that doesn't just go for money that goes for our time as well you might think i don't have a lot of time there's nothing i can give to the church give what you can give same with our skills give what you can give now i saw this modeled amazingly a couple of weeks ago it was uh, someone quite new to church she's not here this morning sadly um, debbie but she came with our alpha course and she came in on, on easter sunday and she had this tray of cakes there's like i don't know 12 cakes or something and she's like oh i've baked these what can i do with them And I was like, oh, just stick them on the table, like, you know, and and we'll give them out. And on Easter Sunday, we had, like, loads of guests and loads of uh, kids visiting, loads of children. And you might have seen them all covered in chocolate on their faces. That's because Debbie had made these cakes, and the kids went away and ate them. And on the face of it, like, it was just 12 cakes, right? It wasn't really much. But she faithfully brought it, and God was able to use those cakes to bless the visitors. And people were really blessed. I remember one lady coming up to me saying, I loved how much she cared about my kids this morning. I love the touch of giving them a cake. See, like, what we have to offer is significant. God uses small things to do great things. I know that for a fact. My question is what can you offer? Think about that this morning what can you offer? So, back to our story. The disciples knew that the food that they had wouldn't feed the crowd. So they were like, uh, Jesus, <laughs> what are we meant to do here? Like, we've got five loaves and two fish, what are we meant to do? And um, the problem that they had was that, and the mistake that they made was that they overestimated the size of their problem and underestimated the size of Jesus. And we've all done that, haven't we? The disciples were looking at the situation through human eyes. Like, on the face of it, this was a dilemma. It was a dilemma that was too big. There was no way they could feed the crowd. But it underestimated Jesus. It's forgotten that, like, just a few hours earlier, Jesus had healed a whole load of people just like that, like it was nothing. They'd followed Jesus around for a long time. They'd seen him perform miracles. But in this situation, they focused on their own problems and forgot just how big Jesus was. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. I've got bills to pay. I've got a difficult work situation. My marriage issues are too much. This person I'm praying for is miles away from God. My children are too far off the rails. My asylum case is taking too long. Like whatever the situation is, our tendency can be to look at it head on and and become fixated on the issue and the problem. And that's what the disciples did. the issue is that when we do that, we overestimate the size of our problem. We underestimate Jesus. Our problems seem impossible to solve. And do you know what's really funny is the disciples knew Jesus better than anyone. They knew knew Jesus could solve their problem, but the problem just kind of outweighed that in their minds. And I believe a lot of us, we know what Jesus can do. We know Jesus' power. We've seen it work in our lives, but actually the situation's taken over and now we've lost faith. That's you this morning, be, be encouraged. And the thing is, see, the disciples were Jews, so they would have known the stories in the Old Testament, right? And the stories in the Old Testament of God multiplying food to feed lots of people. So like we see in 2 Kings 4, the story of Elisha feeding 100 people with a tiny amount of bread. The disciples would have known that story, but couldn't connect that, uh, that Jesus was God and he could do something much, much greater than that. There's a bit of irony in there that Matthew's written in there for the Jewish readers of of that gospel. Look, Jubilee, we need to stop underestimating Jesus, right? That's That's a point for you. So moving on with the story, Jesus blesses the food, he looks up to heaven, and everyone is fed. But Jesus teaches us another lesson here. You see, if Jesus had just multiplied the food a little bit, and if people would have got maybe a, a bit, a tiny bit of bread and a tiny, you know, scale of fish, like that would have been an impressive miracle, wouldn't it? Like the people could have had a snack, and that would have been a miracle, like worthy of praising God for. But God does much more. Than that. Jesus does much more than that. He multiplies the food so much so that we see in verse 20 that everybody ate and they were all satisfied, and there was actually food left over—12 basketfuls, to be precise. They couldn't eat all of the food. Jesus was teaching us one more lesson here, you see. Because what was left over at the end was 12 basketfuls. And how many disciples were there? 12. So can you imagine each of the disciples kind of sheepishly going over to pick up these basketfuls of food? And Jesus are looking there saying, I told you, you doubted me. I've done more than you could have wanted, right? Jesus was teaching them one more lesson. He was saying, I will provide more than you need. I'll provide more than you need. Listen, if you're asking God to work in a situation at the minute, you need to look at this passage and take heart. Jesus can do more than you could ever ask or imagine. He won't just meet your need. He'll surpass it. Let that change your prayer life. Let that change how you react to situations. Expect him to do amazing things. Expect him not to just bring light into your situation, but to do much more than that as well. We see in Psalm 37, okay, we see David writing in verse 25, just something that I hope to say one day. Um, despite the grey hairs in my beard, I can't say it yet. But David says, I was young and now I'm old. I hope to say that one day. I was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or their children begging bread. What is he saying? He's saying that God will provide what we need always. He will never let us down. That was David's experience from a life of trying and sometimes failing to follow God. God never let him down. Don't forget, bread doesn't just signify bread, it also signifies our spiritual needs, the things that we need. God will provide what we need. And Jesus was demonstrating that with this miracle. Walking, walking. Okay, open your Bibles up again for me. We're going to move on to our next story. But before we go to our next story, there's a little, um, little throwaway line in here I want to pick up on. Um, look at verse 23. It says, After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Okay, so our passage today is about two miracles. But in between those two miracles, Jesus takes the time to go and be in God's presence, all right? That's something that we need to do. We need to take that time with God. See, as people, we find it really easy to unwind, don't we? Like, we all have different ways where we relax and unwind. Like, I sit and play football manager on my laptop. Haley watches Coronation Street. Uh, I watch it as well. But um, we all need our time to unwind. But actually, what's more important than that is our greater need, which is time with God. Time away from the things of this world. Time away to recharge spiritually. It doesn't have to be a massive amount of time during your day, but try and build that time in to spend time with God. Jesus models that perfectly here. Okay, that's a throwaway one for you. Let's carry on reading from verse 24. So it says, um, Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they'd crossed over they landed at Gennesaret and when the men of that place recognized Jesus they sent word to all the surrounding country people brought all who were ill to him and begged him to let those who were ill just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed brilliant so here we come to what is another one of the most famous miracles Jesus walking on water all right this one actually if you're interested is told in Matthew Mark and John So it's in every gospel apart from Luke's gospel. Um, But what can we learn from this story? Well, first of all, uh, we find in this story is that Jesus' followers were caught in a storm as they crossed the Sea of Galilee. They were caught in an almighty storm. And we've read about storms in this body of water before, haven't we? Remember a few weeks ago, we learned about Jesus calming the storm. That was on the same body of water. It was quite common to see storms on there. So what we find is Jesus' disciples, many of whom were professional fishermen, might I add, we find these professional fishermen caught in this huge storm. And the first lesson is in that very statement. See, Jesus and following Jesus will not lead to a storm-free life. All right? Following Jesus will not lead to a storm-free life we know that as Christians, don't we? We know that as Christians, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you decide to follow him, that doesn't mean your life's going to be easy and storm-free. Sadly, a lot of Christians today will preach that message. They'll preach the message that following Jesus is your best life. Following Jesus will lead to good things. It, it will do that, but it will also lead to storms. And that's what we see in this case. We know we're going to face storms, but we know that the final victory belongs to Jesus. He secured that victory for us, and there's real joy in that. And this little story that we see here is a perfect example of what happens when we face storms. Let's read on a little bit. So in verse 25 here, I've been reading the New International Version, the NIV, and that translates it to shortly before dawn. But other translations say, in the fourth watch of the night. All right, this is significant because that's how they would tell the time uh, in in that sort of era. The night would be split into four parts. And this uh, event is happening in the fourth part of the night. And that's significant because it shows that a significant period of time has passed between the storm starting and Jesus walking on the water. Do you see that? See, that's significant because Jesus knew exactly what was happening. In fact, we see verse 22, we didn't read it, but in verse 22 it says that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus knew the storm was going to be there. Jesus' plan for them was to go into the boat, but rather than saving them immediately, he allowed time to pass before he came and rescued them. Do you see the significance of that? See, there'll be times when we're in situations where you feel like God has abandoned you. We'll go through tough times and we're praying, when we're full of faith and we're saying, God, you can fix this in an instant, and he doesn't. But quite often when we face those situations, in the midst of them, we grow in those times, don't we? We press into him and our faith is strengthened. Strengthened. The situation maybe isn't fixed immediately, but we know at some point Jesus will come in, and that's what we see here. Jesus allowed them to be in that storm. There's maybe some encouragement for you today if you are in the midst of difficulties. Jesus knows. So let's "Keep going." So Jesus walks across the water, to them and the disciples are scared. They think it's a ghost coming. I love the disciples, by the way, because these are like Jesus' followers, and they come out with the most ridiculous things. Like, Jesus is walking across water, and they've gone all, like, scooby-doo on him, like, it's a ghost. Like, what is that? Surely it's Jesus. Like, you, have, you believe a ghost will come, but you find it hard to believe it's Jesus. Like, come on, disciples. Anyway, um, so Jesus says, take courage, it is I. And do you know what? There's significance in that statement as well, because if you think about the big picture, the disciples would have been familiar with, again, the stories of the Old Testament, Think about the story of the burning bush in Exodus, okay, when Moses meets God. What does God say to Moses? He says, I am. Jesus is saying something similar, It is I. It's like he's reminding him to take courage because it is God. In case you don't know, it's God, I've come. And the next part of the story is what I want to focus on just for a second, because in typical Peter style, we see uh, an incredible little scene play out here. Like Jesus literally standing on the water in front of them. I don't know if you ever tried this, but but people can't walk on water. All right. It doesn't happen. Like we we can't walk on water. And uh, Jesus standing on the water in front of Peter and Peter's like, is that really you? Is that really you? Like Who else is it going to be? Who's going to be standing on water? Does that really prove it? So we have this moment of faith where, um, where, where Jesus says, okay, come and walk to me. And Peter has to take that step to get out of the boat. He's got to take a small step, a small action before he sees big influence. Think back to our giraffe girl from earlier. She made a small step. Peter is making one small move and the influence is going to be Massive. Because what he was doing by stepping out of the boat, that is completely illogical. Like, of course, he wouldn't be able to walk on water. Until like one minute ago, we'd never seen anyone walk on water. Like, people don't walk on water. So, Peter had to do something which was illogical. Let me give you something to tweet here, all right? I'd like to give you something that you can put on your Twitter, okay? Because there's a lesson in this for us, all right? Faith must triumph over logic if we want to see kingdom growth, all right? Let me say that again, can Get your phones ready, put it on Twitter, okay? Faith must triumph over logic if we want to see kingdom growth. Listen, we need to start trusting God in big ways, even when it makes no sense. I've been challenged by that this massively this week. We need to have faith even when it defies logic. Like, why would we leave, why would Jubilee Church leave a perfectly good modern building With good parking in a great location to move to a hundred odd year old building with pews. Why would we do that? That is illogical. It's cold as well, isn't it? That's illogical, okay? Why would us as a a leadership team send off one of our elders to another country to go and serve a church there? Why would we give huge amounts of money to Ghana and other projects? Like, some of the stuff that we do makes no sense. But Jubilee, as one of your leaders, I want to say this to you. Faith must triumph over logic if we want to see kingdom growth. There's going to be some huge steps of faith for us as a church over the next few years. Let's not make. Let's make sure we don't make the mistake of being too logical. I do it. I've done it this week. I've sat and thought, we can't do that. We need to have faith that defies logic. And I'm not saying, of course, when it comes to finances, we go crazy and make all sorts of crazy decisions. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to have big faith, right? We need to have big faith that defies logic. Because there's going to be moments where, like Peter, we're going to have to make that step and say, this is only going to work if Jesus comes through. Hmm. But that's an adventure, isn't it? That's the sort of church you want to be in, right? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was scared there. I was going to say, I've said this before once and got in trouble. I was going to say, the door's that way, but I can't say that. Um, (laughs) Sorry <laughs> Peter starts walking on the water. let's move on. Peter starts walking on the water, and then suddenly we get to the main point of the story here. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and what starts to happen? He starts to sink. And see you know, I really feel for Peter here, because this is the most amazing moment of his life, right? He's literally walking on water. He's defying logic when he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. When he's looking at Jesus, he's walking forward, and it's like, this is amazing. But as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks at the waves and the winds, we see what happens, right? His fear takes over and he starts to sink. I think you see where this is going, right? When we take our eyes off Jesus, the storms worry us more. The situations that we're facing define us more. So many times Jesus with people, we see people doing amazing things, stepping into God, getting involved with church, serving him, on fire of him, and then suddenly they take their eyes off Jesus and they're knocked off course. We see it time and time again. It happens. I've seen it so many times in my walk with God. People I've looked up to, like mature Christians have been doing amazing things, and like these are my idols, and, and then they've taken their eyes off Jesus. And things have started to go wrong. They've started to sink. Listen, guys, if you hear nothing else from this talk, please hear this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter what life throws at you, keep your eyes on Him. No matter how big the situation gets, how tough the situation gets, how hard things are at home or at work, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, or else you're going to sink, and the problem's going to take over. You're going to sink into that difficulty, into that storm. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because both stories today had the same point in them, actually. In both stories, the disciples looked at the situation. Whether it was, we don't have enough food, or this storm is too big. In both stories, they looked at the situation rather than looking at Jesus. If I can get a band up, please, I'm nearly done, that would be great. Um of course, there is hope here as well, because look at the very end of what we read. Verse 31, as soon as Peter cried out, as soon as Peter cried out, it says in verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Do you see that? Immediately Jesus reached out his hands. See, even though Peter had taken his eyes off Jesus, even though he'd focused on the storm, even though in many ways he'd let Jesus down, when he called Jesus was there. When he cried out, Jesus was there with open arms to pick him up out of the storm and drag him to safety. This is what Jesus does for us. This is what he does to us. Look, if you've resonated with what I've been saying this morning about taking your eyes off Jesus and looking at the storm, I want to encourage you right now. Reach out to him. If the situation's been tough for you, If you've just drifted slightly, come back to him. Fix your eyes on him and and, and immediately he'll pick you up. Let that be your final take-home point today. Even if you have looked away from God, even if you have let the situation take over, fix your eyes on Jesus. He'll pick you up while we stand I'm going to pray and then we're going to break bread together okay um, just to remind ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus again so let's stand and then I'll hand over to Simon Lord Jesus I thank you so much for what we've heard in this story God about you performing miracles Lord about you performing amazing miracles in the midst of difficulties Lord we want to just say straight away Lord we want to just ask would you give us bigger faith Lord give us that faith that defies logic Lord. We don't want to be like disciples, Lord. We don't want to be thinking too small. We want to have faith that defies logic. Would you do that for us as a church, Lord? Give us that faith to press on into you, Lord. And God, I thank you that when we fix our eyes on you, Lord, we're able to do amazing things, Lord. You're you're able to do amazing things through us. And I want to pray for each and every person here today. Would we fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus? No matter what's happening around us, would we fix our eyes on you? Would that be the thing that, Um, that keeps leading us forward, Lord Jesus. So I pray right now, if there's anyone that has maybe just lost sight of you right now, would you just reveal yourself again to them, Lord Jesus? Because we know that in in an instant you will come, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that you are always there. Pick us up, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.